Hello and welcome to another episode of Crew the Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So today I am joined by Dickie Day. Dickie is a multi-camera studio director. Dickie works in sport, predominantly football, but he covers a wide range of sport throughout his career. Um, this this chat I had with Dickie is it's just amazing. I, I loved every minute of sitting down and chatting to him. There's a lot I want to say about it, but I won't get too too much into it now. I'll do that at the end uh, after you've listened. So I don't really have a lot more to say. So I hope you enjoy it. I loved it. So I really hope you do too. This is Dickie Day. Off the top of your head, do you think there's one like one game for you over your the course of your many years that's like stood out as like because you've done Champions League finals, you've done like well every final there possibly could be. But is there something that stands out for you as that that game? Yeah, but I wasn't uh, at the time. I wasn't. I wasn't directing the show. Funnily enough, um, I was running VT for ITV Sport, um, and it was the 2005 Champions League final uh, where Liverpool played AC Milan. Uh, I think Liverpool went down three 0 within the first sort of first half, um, and I remember the PA at the time just groaning, and the director at the time, a guy called Paul McNamara. Everyone was just groaning, going, "They get this game is over." They're, you know, everyone's going to turn off. The ratings will go down and go out through the window. And then Liverpool scored and made it three-one. And then, then it went three-two. And then Clive Tilsley came up with the famous commentary line. It was just one word, which I'll never forget. Um, where I think it's where Gerard scored with the header, and Clive just came out with the line, "Hello, oh hello," and it was just. Just, just made my, my spine tingle at the time. And then obviously it went 3-3 and we got into penalties and it was just absolutely out of this world. It was a game that I'll never, ever forget. Um, the experience of being in, in, in Istanbul because obviously we'd gone down two or three days before and we'd shot a load of stuff for a preview show and for the main show. And the whole experience was was, was just absolutely fantastic and out of this world. Um but that's the Champions League, isn't it? That's the, you know, the Champions League is all about when you get to the latter stages, when you get the Real Madrid's versus the Liverpools and the Man United Barcelona's, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you get the real humdinger European games, they're all about special nights. And I've had a few that have sort of come close to that, but that's the one that really sort of sticks in my mind. Chamber wasn't directing it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I bet. I think any football fan though remembers that game. Like I remember watching it, and obviously being. Not, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but cheering when they got their third goal, like li- like I was a fan, because it was it was it was such it was just such an iconic game. I mean, what was it? What was it like after the game? Obviously, what was it like being in Istanbul after the game? We were like when we came off air, because obviously it had gone on and on and on. And when I came off air, you know, we were all you're all elated because it was a great show. Though we didn't have any sort of problems, everything had gone very very well. Um, and obviously with the game and the result and Liverpool winning, it was just a special night all round. But I think we came off air something like half past one, two o'clock in the morning uh, in Istanbul. So we're all absolutely knackered. But you just had this sort of warm, fuzzy, elation type feeling. And we never got a chance to go into the town. We eventually went, got back to our hotel and this must have been about half past two in the morning. Um, and we had a few drinks in the hotel after that. We never got a chance to sort of go in into the town or sort of see the city and and see the fans and the celebrations after the game. Um, but it's funny, it's like, you know, when we got back to the hotel and um, had a few drinks and I think I ended up going to bed about half past four, but I was up on a flight, early flight the next day, a couple of hours later, about half past six, seven o'clock. Because I had to fly then to Cologne in Germany because I was going to do the Formula One, the Grand Prix in Germany. And I was absolutely knackered. 
and it, it kind of felt a massive um, after the Lord Mayor show type thing because we'd had a, had a such a fantastic night the night before and then going and guys actually on my own as well so I was going and flying on my own and, and I felt a, I felt a massive a massive low on the plane over to Germany and so yeah I mean it's, it's again as you said it's, it's one of those nights it's one of those nights that you just never forget oh definitely you can't there's so many people that's like it's one of those I was there moments that that game is up there with uh with the United by Munich 2-1 the Sheringham Solskjaer 89th 91st yeah. minute goals like that those two as a an English or British like football supporter, they are the two Champions League finals. No one talks about when Real Madrid smashed Liverpool two years ago. Like those are the two, those are the big ones. So you know, just what a what an experience. You picked in it there, so you were in VT at that point. So obviously you didn't start as a director. Where where did where did you start? Like where did your career start? Well, it, uh, originally I was playing football. So at a very young age, I was playing football. Then I was at Carlisle United. I was schoolboys at Leeds and then went to Carlisle United. Um, and luckily I was given a bit of advice whilst I was at YTS at Carlisle to do A-levels, at, you know, alongside, just in case the football thing didn't happen. Um, so I, I did a couple of A-levels and then football didn't work out. I wasn't quite good enough and, and whatnot. And luckily... My A levels got me into um, University of Hertfordshire, and I did media production management, which actually, from what I can remember of the course now, bears no resemblance to what I'm doing now. But that's another thing. Um, <laughs> but part of the course, part of my course requirements, um, was to do two weeks work experience in whatever given genre you wanted to, to, to potentially go in. And obviously, with the football, I was all sort of sport based anyhow. So I sent off letters and, and, and phone calls, et cetera, to Sky, the BBC and ITV. And it was eventually a guy called David Moss at ITV that responded to me and said for me to go in for a couple of weeks. So I went over to, to ITV. Well, what, what it was back then, it was a company called ISN, Independent Sports Network, who were affiliated to um, LNN, London News Network. And they had some of the contracts or some of ITV's contracts to do some of ITV sport. Um, so as I said, I went over for a couple of weeks and I, I think one of my very first jobs was logging the snooker, and I hate snooker. Don't, I can't, can't, can't get my head around snooker, <laughs> so that was interesting. But I did, a, I sort of did, did a few other little bits and bobs. Went on a few um, OBs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The two weeks was then sort of uh, uh, came to an end, and I went back to the course. Did the, did sort of finish my course, um, and luckily, when I finished my course, there was a, an opening for an editorial assistant. At ITV came up. And uh, David Moss sort of rang me and let me know, you know, this this job's available. Would you be interested? And I, of course, jumped at, jumped at the chance. And I went for a little interview. A guy called John Watts interviewed me. And then eventually I was offered the job. And I was there, say, an editorial assistant for two or three years and then become then became an, an assistant producer, a VT coordinator, and a little bit of a producer, produced a few things. And that sort of span over sort of 10 years. And then it was... Uh, in sort of 2008, 2009, I was uh, I was offered a job at Satanta Sports when they just launched to go and be their main match replay cohort where I sort of pull the replays in for the match director. And Mark Sharman and David Moss, or Mark Sharman, who was head of ITV Sport, and, and David Moss, who was sort of head of uh, uh, ISN at the time. Well, I think they maybe might have merged by then, so it might have all became one company. I can't really remember. You know, sort of said to me, look, we don't want you to go. What You know, what can we do to sort of help you stay and, and whatever? What do you want to do? And I said, well, I want, you know, eventually I want to be a director. I want to sort of, you know, go that route. So I was I was, uh, I was, was put on a BBC multicam uh, director's course at BBC Wood Norton. 
um i was given a bit more money a bit, bit more money and uh and then slowly the sort of the more basic director job sort of came up and i was sort of started shadowing a few people people like john watts jamie oakford um and the thing sort of, sort of rolled on from there really and then sort of the hiatus came in 2010 though i was directing uh itv's presentation in south africa for the world cup um and a guy called nick moody who's left itv the year before uh to go and uh work for img on the new espn football contract offered me the position to be to go over and become espn's main studio director for their premier league coverage and it was hard it was hard leaving itv because i'd been there for 10 years and made many friends and you know got lots of close work colleagues and but you know there comes a time doesn't there in, in, in your career where you might hit a bit of a plateau and see that three or four people are above you and you're never going to quite sort of overtake those people so you know a career change was probably the right thing and actually looking back at it it was actually the perfect thing for me because then you know my career's gone on loops and bounds from then onwards so yeah it's uh it's been a long road yeah sounds it so when you were like when you were learning and stuff like at itv predominantly was that was that football or was that kind of a a wide range of sport because obviously itv cover a quite a wide range well, I did. I did a few bits and bobs. I mean, ITV at the time I had quite a lot of boxing. I didn't direct any of the boxing, but again, I ran VT on the boxing, uh, ran VT on the boat race uh, a few times, which was a great experience. Um, ITV had bits and bobs of football, bits of Champions League, etc. England games. Um, you know, I did a bit of rugby, rugby sevens. So I got quite a quite a broad spectrum of sports. Um, football's always been my sort of main number one and I knew going to ESPN because they just got the Premier League rights that I would predominantly be doing most of the football and I was quite happy with that because you know I played it uh, with my father being who he is he used to play as well so I've got a real close affinity to football and that, it kind of was just a sort of a natural uh, a, a natural fit you know that's not to say I can't do anything else I've done you know I've, I've done a few you know Esports, I've done. I've done uh, some boxing for Channel Five. I've done uh, magazine-y, musicy type shows. Um, so, but sort of football is my sort of bread and butter. Yes. You just your dad was a footballer, was he? I feel like this is a job interview. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> yes. No, you're, you're the one who normally gives me the work, mate. I'm, 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 so yes, yeah, so your your dad. I can't get my head around it. So your 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 dad was a footballer, was he? Yeah, my old my old man was a was a goalkeeper for West Ham, Leeds United, Aston Villa. Um, yeah, he's been a he's been around. He was Alan Kerbish's assistant at Charlton and at West Ham. So yeah, he's had a he's had a full on career in football, um, and that's obviously where the, you know I get the passion for. Yeah, as but well. have you ever worked on a game where he's like been assistant, or have you he's been around and you've been in the gallery or anything? Uh, no, I've directed him a couple of times. He was a guest. He was a studio guest at ESPN. Um, I'm trying to think of the show. What was the show we used to call it? I can't remember now. Um, but he was a guest that used to come in, and I used to, I used to direct him. And obviously, we try and encourage the guests to take talk back and have earpieces, etc., <laughs> etc. Et and I remember a couple of times I would take say a couple of things to the presenter and to the ta- to, the, to the, the regular talent, and I'd do it on purpose while the old man was speaking, and I knew he'd stop because he'd recognise the voice and think I was talking to him, and it would throw him a bit. So I used to play a little game with him. <laughs> That's so cool. Either side, it must be a really proud moment because obviously you're proud because your dad's on screen. But for him to hear your voice as a studio director, must be it must like it must be so proud for for him to like you know not you, as I say not to follow in your footsteps of like the playing side, but to be involved in such a at such a high level 
of such a big sport? I mean, look, it's, I, when I was playing football all those years ago, when I was playing football, you know, I always used to hit a brick wall because of who my old man was. People would then expect you to be as good as him. So there was always much more pressure um, placed upon me because of how good he was. And I, you know, I, I was all right. I wasn't bad, but, you know, dad won, the FA, won an FA Cup final. He played for England under-21s, England B team. I wasn't anywhere near that. And I always used to feel that pressure. And I think ultimately that was probably one of the goals or one of the reasons why I didn't continue with the whole football career um, because I couldn't handle the pressure. Um, to then sort of have the roles reversed and flipped a little bit and, you know, I'd changed my career and gone into media and now obviously directing. And for him to hear that and see that, yeah, I think he is quite proud. Um, but equally, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him and his career and what he's done. I mean, he's almost retired now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's funny how the sort of two careers have intertwined a little bit as we've gone on. Yeah, definitely. And like I saw it on, <laughs> you shared it on like your Twitter, because you do it obviously a lot at BT, Jake Humphreys had like got you and your dad um we've got a picture of your dad or something about sons following in their father's footsteps yeah yeah I, I, I knew nothing about that I knew absolutely nothing we were doing a little item a little chat with, with Glenn and, and, and Coley and I think it was about young player of the years and dad was the first or the youngest goalkeeper to ever win it back in 1975 I think um and Jake came at the, at the time came up with said a question to Glenn about got a quiz question for you who was the youngest goalkeeper ever to win it and I was obviously in Jake's ear and I go oh, I know that blah 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 and then Jake obviously said dad's name and then he went into the spiel about me being the director and this whole split screen shot came up in this big screen in the studio and I was just absolutely gobsmacked it was lovely it was really really nice um but yeah I knew, I knew absolutely nothing about it <laughs> it was my 15 minutes of fame yeah but it shows a like a, a level of obviously like a level of respect because especially now at the moment with sport of how it is which we'll cover in a bit but obviously with no one available to go and watch it you have to sit at home and watch it to have that kind of respect from a presenter like Jake Humphreys to just be able to do that and go oh Dickie needs a bit of a uh, recognition and stuff that, m- that must be quite rewarding though just to feel like you're part of a team 100% 100% and I think one of the one of the the, the, the beauties of of what we're currently doing on BT's Premier League coverage, which is obviously produced by Sunset and Vine. Um, you know, I've been doing it sort of four or five years now, and it's all the team, the roles have generally stayed the same. There's been a few sort of movements, but it's generally stayed, stayed the same. And, and I think that's one of the real keys to our success. It's such a good team, such a nice team. There's no bad eggs. Everybody knows, everybody knows their jobs. Everybody knows what's required of them. Um, and everybody works together really, really well. And obviously, that obviously epitomizes as well through through Jake and I. You know, before I joined, I'd never met or worked with Jake. I'd, I'd known of him obviously, and with his F one stuff, and and I, I knew he was a good presenter. You know, and I've I've directed some pretty you know some pretty big names: Jim Rosenthal, Gary Lineker, Gabby, uh, Des Lynham. So I've, I've you know Steve Ryder. I, I you know I've, I've worked with the very best, and and I've come on and I've started working with Jake and. I can honestly say, and this is not bigging him up because he doesn't need bigging up, but you know he is very, very easy to work with. Not only because he doesn't use autocue at all, he's completely ad lib, but just the way he takes talk back, he's very easy, he's very approachable. Um, 
where he delivers his lines, his intonation is very easy to get hold of. You know, we, you know, I think we've formed a real sort of close bond working relationship, which is sort of you can now actually see on screen. I know when he's going to wrap up. I know when, when he's going to finish. Um, he never hits his count, mind. That's always a bit of a tricky one, but I think he does that just to keep us all on our toes. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's a he's a he's a real good guy to work with. But it, it come that comes across on screen because you've got obviously with the Jake with the early morning kickoff stuff. It's it's a show that you know it's not just a, a Sunday league game. It's a huge match, the first match of the weekend technically, and it's you don't want you don't want boring people sitting in a studio going just through analysis. You know, going through the I'm trying to think the right word but just going through the, the moments people want that entertainment to get them into the game like it's an early morning Saturday show the kickoff is half 12 a lot of people might not tune in before so to have someone like Jake who engages an audience makes you turn in turn on at 10 a.m to watch the build-up whereas some people might not it's hard. It's a real hard balance. I mean, it's funny enough. Funny she said the early kickoff is now gone. Is now gone this season. But for last season, it was a real challenge because even though the first hour was billed as early kickoff, and then the half an hour up to kickoff was billed as the game, um, you know, it's an editorial challenge because you know you're fighting two or three fronts here. People in this country who watch football, everybody's got a set way. Everybody enjoys. And likes the way it's done. It's very every every broadcast is generally very much the same. It's a presenter with two guests or three guests and a few features about what's gone on around the day and leading up to the game. A bit of analysis, as you say, a few interviews, and then you're into the game. It's very it's very samey. Do you know what I mean? And the, and the challenge with an early kickoff show that we were doing last year, where you've got this hour and a half, or you've got this hour, and you're trying to be a bit different and you're trying to be a bit more uh, live, I suppose, and it was a real challenge for the producers of Sunset and Brian, and I think we did a really, really good job. You know, um, we managed to go into into places that you sort of generally couldn't do. Um, and having someone like Jake, who's very easy, he's very relaxed, and he can he can do it all on the fly a little bit, and he can react, and makes it much made it much much easier at the time, much easier. Um, so yeah, it's it, you know he's 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 very very easy to work with and 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 everybody gets on very well with him. So yeah, he's, he's a good player. I mentioned it. I think it's another previous podcast that, and I, I might not be exact on this with Jake, but I'm pretty sure that I said that people like presenters and things like that who started out of presenting, so who worked in television and worked their way up to where they are now, genuinely understand the the whole show better and are sometimes nicer to work with. Not all the time, but a lot of the time they know what we do. They know the structures of what a runner, what a cohort, what a VT does. Like They get that. And I think I'm pretty sure Jake's one of those people who started somewhere like as a runner or as a researcher or something like that within sport and then worked his way up to presenting. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, uh, you know, about his, his, his very early, yeah. early, early days. I know he worked in McDonald's and I think he got sacked from McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, you know, he was part of children's television and he earned his, his, uh, his stars and stripes working in t- children's TV and it's live. And, and obviously he did a, a few bits and bobs for BBC Sport and then the Formula One and, Jake gets it 100%. The whole the, the broadcast logistics of putting on a live television show, whether that's music, entertainment, sport, news, he gets it, you know, and 
he runs his own he's now very successful sport production company in Whisper, doesn't he? Along with um, a guy called Sunil Patel, who who I knew of, who was at ITV and the BBC, and obviously David Coulthard. Uh, so. You know, he knows what he's doing. He knows the ins and outs. He's not just a presenter. He's not just someone that can sort of deliver a line and, and, and do a bit of VO and think on his feet. He, know, he knows how the whole system works. Um, and that is always going to help. It's always going to be a bonus. He, you know, it, if I say to him, Jake, this is a 10-second hard count. You have to hit zero. You have to shut up at zero. I'm not messing about here. He gets it and he will do it. Well, there are others that necessarily won't because they won't understand the importance of it. But he does. Yeah, which 100%. which sometimes makes your job a lot more difficult. Oh, yeah. 100%. So we we obviously moved on to BT. So very quickly. So obviously you were at IMG. So then obviously you were doing the ESPN. It was your first kind of was it was that was that a contract? Because obviously now you're self employed, but I'm not freelance. But was that so when you were at IMG, that was a full time kind of job role? Yeah, I mean one of the stipulations on leaving ITV, where I'd been staff for ten years, was that I wanted to go staff to IMG um, it was a bit of a challenge to start with because they you know they didn't like dishing out staff contracts and etc but for me I'd, I'd never never done the freelance thing and I was embarking on uh, not a new career but you know I was taking a step up and I'd, I wanted some security so I got IMG to offer me a staff contract which they did thankfully and I was there for two or three years while ESPN had the Premier League contract. Um, we did like FA Cup and some of the Scottish football and a few magazine type shows. Um, so that was that. And then obviously ESPN, or ESPN UK, I should say, were lost the Premier League rights, funny enough, to BT. And it came to another point in my career where, well, right, what am I going to do? I've been asked by, by IMG to stay on because IMG at the time will still do um, I've got Premier League productions and they asked whether I wanted to transfer across the Premier League productions. But also there was a presenter called Rebecca Lowe who had worked with ESPN had just give, just um, been given the gig to uh, launch NBC in the States, their Premier League coverage. They just got the rights over there and they sort of employed her as their main presenter. And she told me about that they were looking for a studio director over there. And I thought, well, look, this is America, this is the States, this is a massive jump. I'm never gonna gonna get an interview, let, let, let alone anything else. So anyway, look, I, I applied for it, didn't think anything of it, and then I had a phone call. I had a phone call from a guy called Pierre Musa, who's a coordinating producer over there. Um, he said they were really interested, that they'd read my CV, had uh, spoken to Rebecca about me, were really interested, and he offered me an interview. So I had two phone interviews uh, with the NBC bosses. Uh, both went very very well, but again, I was still a Still had that thing in my head where this is still the states. This is still you know a massive relocation. This 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 isn't going to happen. And then literally the day after my second phone interview, I had a phone call saying that that they would like to fly me over and to have a face on face to face interview to come and have a look around their uh, their broadcast facility in Stamford in Connecticut, meet a few people, um, and then they're going to make a decision. And basically, he said to me, uh, they had about four and a half thousand applicants. Well, uh, they got got down to the final sort of two or three, and I was, I was in that. Um, That's amazing. So uh, I think it was probably two or three days. Two or three days after that, I was then on a flight over to New York. Uh, got got picked up at John F. Kennedy. Got taken straight to the broadcast centre in Stanford. Met Pierre in person. Met a guy called Sam Flood, who was their big sort of executive producer. Uh, met a load of other sort of 
couldn't tell all the names. I met loads of people, had a tour around the facilities, had a sit down, had a chat. Literally, then I went back to the hotel, slept, woke up the next morning, and I was on a flight home. Wow. Didn't hear anything. And then it was, and then, <laughs> and then it, it was sort of two or three days later where um, I got a phone call and I was offered the job. And it's funny because we were just about to leave to, to go to Spain on holiday. So we, you know, I, I'm like, wow, I've been offered this job. Um, what do I do? What do I do? It's a massive thing. I'm, you know, be relocating the whole family, be taking everybody with me. Um, kids moving schools. It's like crikey. So we went to Spain and me and the missus were up in an hour and about it all. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah, because that's, you know, people move yeah. house. People move from maybe one borough to another and have to relocate schools. But, you know, you're still 15, 20 minute drive away. Like relocating your whole family to America. Like that's, that's huge. Like that's got to be, that's got to be the, the job that you've always wanted. I've always wanted to work in the States. I've always wanted to work and, you know, see how they do things. But it was such a big jump. It was such a big process. I think I came a little, I, I, came, I, think I all got clouded a little bit in fog and, and whatnot. Thinking, oh, should I do this? Should I really do this? And then eventually I can't, I can't remember who it was that said it to me, but someone said to me that you should, I should do it. I should do it and not then regret at a later point of not doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. At least if you do it and it doesn't work out, you can come home and it's fine. At least you've given your chance, you've given yourself a chance to, to experience it. And I didn't want to get to a point sort of 10, 15 years down the line and think, Shit, I should have done that. I wish I'd done that just to experience it. So then, yeah, while we were in Spain, that was my mind. Our, our minds were, were made up and we made the decision and, and we went for it. And we went for it. And then from that point onwards, it was all just a whirlwind. I was on the phone constantly to HR, NBC's HR, lawyers about the visas, etc. We got back from Spain and literally, I would say six weeks later, we were all on a flight to the States. Wow. So when when is this? What, where are we talking? What year? Where are we? This is 2013, summer of 2013. Okay. So I think I got off the job in, job in May and we were on a flight in July. And how did it go? Good? <laughs> it, it, it was excellent. It was brilliant. It was like that. From a work, a work perspective, it was, uh, they do things so differently over there. It's, it's not how we do things or, you know, it's, it's a, the director over there is a very different role. Um, and it was good to experience that. It's good to experience different terminologies, uh, different uh, technological advancements. Just the way that they did things was, was great to experience. In the end, I was there a year. We did have aspirations to stay longer. You know, our visas were three years. But after the year, there was various different aspects that made things a little bit difficult, family reasons. Um, and we bit the bullet and came home. Um but I don't regret that. I don't regret that. I had a great year over there. Met some fantastic people. I mean, one of one of my wife's now very close best friends. She met over there at the time, um, and I learned so much. I learned a whole different way of working and a whole different thought process as, as to how you approach things. And it, it was a real experience and something you know something I'll never forget. But like you said, with that bit of advice, it was better to. Do it for a year, come home, then say no, and then now regret it. Like you'll you'll never regret that year. It you know it might 
might not have been perfect. I don't know. I'm not asking, but like it might not have been perfect in the things you might have changed about it. But you can look back in 15, 20 years, 30 years or whatever, when you're sitting um, thinking about your career, going, well, I've always wanted to work in America. And I did it. I did it for one year. Whatever happened, happened. But I'll always be able to, to say in my own mind that I was offered a job and taken and relocated by um, possibly one of, if not the biggest broadcaster in the world, in the States, in NBC. Um, I worked in a different country. And even though they speak English, well, it's still a very different culture. It's to do things very differently. Um, I, I was able to experience that, and, 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 and that will never leave me. Um, it will never leave my family. You know, you know, we have certain things now where we think, well, if we've done different things differently, then, you know, we might have stayed a bit longer and, and, and whatnot. But we all got the man. We all managed to experience it. You know, my daughters at the time were little, but they managed to experience getting on a yellow school bus and and going into school on the bus. You know, like you see in the movies, and 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 that was all. You know, that was all part of our life at the time. Um, and it's all something that we can always put in the locker and, and, and enjoy. Did they help you a lot? Like, did they help you relocate? Did they find you an apartment? Like, I've always, I've always wondered because, like yourself, I've, I've always wanted to kind of live like about a year, I'd say, like live and work in America. But you know, the relocation thing is always huge. But did they help you? Yeah, they, they, yeah, no, they offered me a package, um, which included sorting out and. Um, uh, fast tracking all the visa. The visa process was the most complicated thing because you had, you had to have certain references, and people that are giving you references had to have references for themselves. Um, that was the most challenging thing. But they gave us a relocation package, which helped massively. Yeah, like, I can't, I can't yeah. fault NBC at all about any of it. You know, the, the, you know what they did for us as a family was great. But you still, you the good thing is as well is um, you still work for NBC now. Like you still do when they come over to the UK they employ you so you still got those links with them absolutely and that was always you know i was never going to leave on bad terms i I think that's the worst thing you can do when you leave a company is 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 leave things sour because you never know at whatever point further down your career that 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 company could use your expertise again and you know i I left on good terms and as you mentioned nbc have been over here a few times now doing various bits and bobs and they've employed me for it so you know that was a key aspect for me and when we did leave is the not to burn any bridges and I didn't and I'm still friends with a lot of people over there now. That's great. So when, when, when you came back, um, where, where did that take you? Did that take you back to IMG or to BT? or? I was lucky enough that Nick Moody, who employed me originally for, for IMG for the ESPN deal, had then just been given the, uh, the exec producer uh, role the Premier League productions and that they at the time were then looking for a studio director or head of creative to oversee all of their live studio output and he'd offered me the job as I was coming back he'd offered me the job so I was very very lucky in that respect that I came back and walked straight into another full-time position and that was fantastic you know I had three or four years there uh, which again was a slightly different thing I was it's more a managerial position I did direct quite a few of the shows but it was more a managerial position managing the studio crew managing the overall look of the live studios, the live programming. Again, it was another layer of my career that I hadn't fully yet experienced, but um, thoroughly enjoyed and, 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 you know, been learned so much from. Yeah. When you, when you do something like that, when it's, as you just said, like you're, it's quite managerial, you're not as directing as much as, 
do you, do you miss that directing side of it? Like fundamentally, is that is that your passion? Like you love you you loved the role and you enjoyed the whole element of it. But sitting in that hot seat, looking at all those screens, is that kind of where your passion lies? A hundred percent. You know, I did. I enjoyed the managerial side of it and managing people and and, and things, but. It's nothing quite like, you know, I don't cliche, but there's nothing quite like the live buzz of a live studio, directing a live studio show. Um, and ultimately, it's one of the reasons why I left Premier League Productions in sort of 2015, 2016, is that I sat there and thought about it. And actually, I just want to direct. I just want to be able to control my cameras and control the lighting and the music and the sound and get a real sort of flow and natural feeling for a live show. I, I just love that aspect of it. And, and and that's ultimately why I went freelance. Because um, I, I don't think you could beat that. The, the whole live buzz, uh, constantly being on edge of talking, of you know, bringing a whole crew together, making sure everybody's listening to you and delivering what you want. And yeah, you can't beat that. I don't think. No, I I agree. I actually I like that. You've hit the nail on my head. That is that is why people do live TV. Like even now, after you've done it for. 10 15 whatever years like you're still there and when the pa is like one minute to live you still there's that there's still that buzz and i and i've said this a lot in this podcast over the last few apps um but i think if you ever lose that if you ever sit there and go oh, here we go again then leave because it's not for you 100% agree 100% it's, agree just uh you know it's um yeah it's just such a buzz that you can't you can't really deal with so I guess that now leads us into where we were. So we're at BT. We're doing. So you cover a lot at BT, don't you? So you do. Well, t- t- what what do you do? Everything, I guess, all the football. Uh, well, I, 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 as you know, I'm freelance. Uh, I've got a contract with uh, the production company Sunset and Vines to be the main uh, studio director on all of BT's Premier League coverage and Europa League coverage. Um, I do the occasional things for BT themselves, a bit of Champions League for them, uh, a bit of FA Cup sometimes. Um, look, I'll work for anyone. I'm freelance, aren't I? If, you know, if people want me, I'll try do my utmost sort of, you know, to be there and do things for them. I do, you know, a little bit of match of the day too for the BBC, which is great because it's completely different to, to the way BT and the way Sunset and Vine do things. Um, I'm just about to embark on a new contract with IMG for CBS, the American broadcaster, and all their Champions League coverage. Um, so yeah, I've got a load of things sort of going on, you know, which is keeping me very busy. <laughs> you're, you're always busy. Like I, I've been very lucky to work with you in quite a few elements of <laughs> sport, and like we've done esports together, and we've we've done quite a lot of it. Um, but one thing I did want to talk about was because um, I've seen yeah. I've seen the video that Sunset and Vine made. Um, and so obviously I try not to talk about it too much because I want this podcast to be quite generic and anyone can listen to it at any point. But obviously I will just talk about the coronavirus very quickly because it very much impacted sport overnight. Um, but amazingly at Sunset and Vine, you guys carried on making your show and um, you created, I'll let you tell ins and outs, but you created home studios around that linked together. So how, how did that, that come around? Cause it was phenomenal what you did. It's, it was it wasn't me, but there's a there's a lead engineer at BT uh, called Andy Bill, um, who's very uh, well. He's a he's a he's a techno geek, isn't he? He's he's a, 
he's very intelligent in terms of the whole techno- technology technology side of things. Um, and it was him and BT, the BT engineers, and a company called Timeline uh, who sort of put their heads together and came up with a workflow that would uh, that would enable us to do this. And effectively, yes, it was an hour's early kickoff show from home. I was at home directing, producer was at home, PA was at home, and it was all done through our Wi-Fi on laptops. Um, how it all worked, I don't know, <laughs> but it did work. <laughs> no, um, that's, that's a bit I didn't get. Oh, I just just mind-boggling absolutely mind-boggling that we're directing a live show and we're all in our own individual houses or bedrooms or wherever you were and it was just you actually think about it and think wow how did it happen don't get me wrong it it wasn't without its pitfalls i mean you know i live out in sticks and my wi-fi is atrocious um speedy had to send me sort of like a live view 4g backpack mobile signal thing that sort of bolstered my wi-fi a little bit but there were still times where we were you know we were live and Jake was linking to BTs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But all of a sudden, my multi-view would freeze, and all I could hear was the audio. So I'm just now directing via the audio. So I'm looking for what the, you know, looking at Jake's script and seeing what his outwards are, listening to his intonations to when to roll the BTs, and then I'm listening to the PA of, you know, a timing of when to stick a graphic in. I can't see any of this. I'm just using the audio to direct, uh, and that was a little bit interesting. That was a little bit interesting, but. Again, it's just it was all experience. All of it is just massive. It's a learning experience, isn't it? You know, you know, I've been doing this now. Well, I've been in TV for twenty years. I've been directing like, sort of twelve years or so, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of studio shows and various bits and bobs. But again, it's going back to the old cliche: you're only as good as your last show. You know, don't ever think. I don't ever think that I've made it. I don't ever think, oh, this is it. I, I know what I'm doing now because it's live TV. Anything could happen at any point a camera could die a mic could die a light could blow the whole lot could go you know what i mean i was i directed it i was doing a show for bt last year a football match and the way that we did it we'd have a match truck which would provide the game pictures and there'd be a press truck where we do all the studio cameras and the bits and bobs and jake etc etc now i had some of the match cameras coming into my press truck and i heard at the time we'd coming we were coming back from the break and i was going to throw to the match Jamie Oakford, who was the match director at the time, I heard him say that he'd lost his mixer. His mixer's died. He can't cut. I can't cut my cameras. And he's shouting at his vision engineers, what's going on? What's going on? I can't cut, some, can't cut my cameras. And I could hear this. And I, I knew there was an issue wrong. So I then said to my vision mixer at the time, Kim Connor, I said, cut one, just cut match one. She looked at me, he's like, well, why are we going to match pictures? And I went, just cut one. He's having an issue. He's having an issue. And ultimately, I ended up directing most of the first 15 minutes of the game through a select amount of match cameras because his match mixer had died. So, you know, that's just that's just one one little aspect of it. But you know, again, it's all just learning. You're constantly learning. I, well, I am. I'm for me. I am constantly learning. I'm constantly listening. Even to you know directors that are more junior than me that have only been doing it five or six years, I'll always listen to them and always sort of see how they're directing and and, and whatnot. And, and I know this kind of errors and stuff that they're making, but it's all sometimes you'll also pick up a bit of the gold nugget, you know, something that they might do that you hadn't thought of. Um, don't ever think you've made it. No one's ever made it. Unless you're a billionaire, no one's ever made it. No, absolutely. Like there's, there's so many people in telly who want to work in it that there are going to be people coming up who you might turn around and go, yeah, but I've been doing this for 15 years. They've been doing it for two. But there's just something about them that they've just got it. They've just got this and you're 
and it's there is experience there is like life experience and all of that lot in that involve it but at the same time anyone no matter how long you've been doing it can be incredible at their job so it's great it's great that you're still in that mindset that you're learning and every job is new and every job you're you're taking something away from it that's just going to develop your career 100 percent, and it's all it's you know a key art of management is surrounding yourself with good people so you know my vision mixer i've known and worked with for a long time kim my camera supervisor johnny floor manager the likes of you matt and leo and you know all these guys that i i trust implicitly i don't know it all i don't everything i do is not the way and the be all and end all this is the way that we've got to do it i i am more than happy for it to be a uh for people to pitch their ideas in and, and Johnny, my camera supervisor might go, well, actually, have you thought about what about doing this? And we'll have a look at it. And yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And Kim, the vision mixer might say to me, well, why don't we wipe there instead of that? And maybe that's a good idea. It's, it's, I'm very much team, you know, I'm only as good as my crew around me a hundred percent. Again, there's another cliche, but it's so true. You know, you, you know, the crew, you, you are all the life, the life and soul of it. A hundred percent. I just, I just shout a load of words and you'll follow but you guys make it happen <laughs> <laughs> you guys make it happen so but you so then well you but we we follow your we follow your instinct and your and your vision so it kind of you know we do we do what you say really which gets us all to the right goal should i say to be cliche again but like you know yeah we all we all get there but i I do i admit from like someone who's worked with you for a good few years like you do like i've done it before with you you've said let's do this and i've said if you bought them out this way you would get it better kind of thing and you would be like great we'll go with that like that and that's what i think makes for you for personally for me why i love working with you is is because you take that in you're not like no this is my idea this is how we're doing it end of um, you take people's opinions because you know that everyone in their own role has got to their role because they've got the experience. And I think that that is a credit to you that you, you're you not that kind of director. Uh, I can't fathom the whole screamy, shouty, I am me, this is the way we do it, directors. I can't do it. I can't, I, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. I, I've never floor managed. I know what you've got to do, but, you know, you've got much more experience as a floor manager than me. So, what, your ideas are bound to be better than mine you know you you know you saying to me why don't we do it this way because you'll get a better shot or whatever and then great yeah 100 percent brilliant let's do it because at, at the end of the day we're, we're all working towards one goal aren't we we're all want, we all want to make this look and sound and feel fantastic for the viewer at home yeah the whole i, I can't i can't deal with directors that are very much all about me 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 just doesn't work for me no i i agree with you so um one thing you you picked up just because it's someone who obviously watches a lot of sport just the difference you said about you've got a match director and you obviously got your director so i guess in like the match director just does obviously your your pitch cameras yeah. is that what you'd call them like pitch cameras yeah. or match cameras so there's two so there's uh, there's a match director as you said yeah and he will have i don't know 20 20 match cameras dotted around the ground and he cuts the game so he effectively cuts the pictures that you see at home when you're watching the game of football then there's a pres or studio camera studio director sorry which is me and all the bits that go around that like the talent the bits of vts the breaks the graphics etc etc i generally do um i've done a little bit of match directing it's not my bag i've, I've never been that interested in it 
to be honest with you. I've always much preferred the workings of a studio and working with lights and camera lenses and sound and making all these different elements, talent, voiceovers, graphics, making all these different elements come together to make one final product. That's just it's just the way it's just the way I, that, that, that I am. I can match tricks, and I have done a little bit, but I've never sort of had that massive desire to sort of get into it. Um, it just it doesn't generally follow a rule, you know. A lot of match directors could studio direct as well. No, absolutely no problems at all. But I, I saw a sort of a, a route for me that I knew that I enjoyed and that I wanted to pursue, and that was work the workings of a TV studio. So that was my route. For way you said it, it doesn't make it sound so big, but Obviously, the match director does have cameras, but you're also constantly watching because you've got your your cohorts behind you who, very quickly in a sport world, if you're an entertainment world, a cohort is a coordinator of like a coordinator who does all your like production side, but a cohort in sport is someone who cuts your like your replays, cuts your VTs, and cuts your your quick action stuff that you you call on, um, and your post match interviews and all of that. So during the game, you're still doing all of that. You're still someone hits a post, someone um, VAR and all of this, you're cutting all of those in. So you're you're watching a match director do it, but you're still fully involved throughout the whole 90 minutes. Oh, 100%. You don't, you don't switch off because, you know, at the end of the 45 minutes, you've then got a 15-minute halftime show. You know, you know, I part, you know, most of that is commercial breaks, but, you know, there'll be a four or five-minute part where we do analysis and there'll be graphics and, the producer and the talent and Jake and Mary and the coordinator all sort of sat down discussing about what we should analyse, what angles we should use, what looks best, what tells the story the best. You know, we don't stop. We don't stop. Um, you know, it's just another, it's just an, uh, another added layer. So yeah, it, it's a, uh, it, it's continuous. Yeah. Yeah. It never ends. So what one thing, obviously you've been, as you say, like champions league, uh, Europa league, premier league, uh, do you think you could name, well, for you, the greatest ground you've ever gone to? Like, you must have been to hundreds. <laughs> Blimey, Charlie. Uh, and you're not allowed to say Ellen Road. <laughs> I haven't been to Ellen Road for ages, actually. Um, oh, actually, before you answer that, one thing I did, did have, you, have you directed Leeds since they've been back in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, we did Leeds a couple of weeks ago. It was great. Great footballing team going to do a lot good yeah yeah going to go was it nice? yeah yeah going to go places mate 100% BLS is the king <laughs> <laughs> most famous the biggest stadium. yeah it's the best stadium crikey uh, I've been to the likes of the San Siro uh, obviously Wembley Tottenham Stadium is very very special I couldn't I couldn't I've been to hundreds I couldn't tell you I really couldn't tell you which is a good which is a good way to be if you've been to so many I've got to be honest, the London Stadium. Oh, really? West Ham? Yeah. I mean, the London Stadium. Yeah, no, but not for football. The London Stadium on the Olympics in 2012. I was working as a 3D, one of the 3D directors. And it was, we were there for the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony. And that was magical. You know, not just the, the stadium looked fantastic, but the magical feeling of the games, etc., etc. The real atmosphere was, was absolutely stunning. That was, that was really special. That must be a moment you'll never forget. I, I, honestly, couldn't tell you. Oh, brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant I was working with a guy called Ted Ayling who was a massive big ITV director back in the day um, and it was great fun being with him and yeah again it's an experience that I'll never forget no I bet um, so I end all of my podcasts exactly the same way so uh, Dickie why do you love your job it's having the ability or it's being in charge of making people happy 
and sad, but it's being in control of or being able to show people, make people smile or laugh or cry. It's being able to entertain, even though I'm not entertaining, but I'm putting something on, on television that looks nice and people watch. It's, being, it's having that ability um, to say, yeah, I did that. I did that for you or, you know, I, I, um, there's not one, there's not one thing. There's not one thing. It's a whole conglomerate of a load of little elements. I, I just love being live, the live aspect, the buzz of being alive. Anything could happen and a million people at home would see it and you think, shit, but it's brilliant. That's a good answer. I love it. And there's there's so many there's so many elements to that which I agree with. Like being on live TV or not being on it, but obviously being behind it is a buzz that never fades. Um, thank you so much for your time, Dickie. I really appreciate it. You're um just hearing how you got there and the processes of what you do is brilliant. My pleasure, mate. That was so much fun. I just absolutely loved sitting down and chatting to Dickie. As you can tell, we've we've worked together on and off for a good few years now, but I've never really sat down and chatted to Dickie about how he got into it and obviously about his dad and just, you know, I've never really sat down and had that conversation with him and it was so good to do it. And if you if you are interested in ever working in telly, if you are interested in becoming a director, if you are interested in anything to do with the television industry and getting involved in it, just take everything that Dickie said and follow it because to have that much respect for your crew, to trust your crew, to be such a team player and work with so many nice people and surround yourself by nice people is such a great way to be and a great way to work. You'd be surprised that's not always the case with people, but Dickie's attitude to his craft and caring about every aspect of the show that he's putting on in front of you is incredible and it's just amazing to hear and as I said if you are interested in directing then take elements of what Dickie said and keep that with you because that is such a great way to be and to have that much respect for the people that you employ and the people around you you'll go far and just look at Dickie he's one of the greatest directors in telly and he's made it because of his attitude and or his ability obviously but his attitude as well just it's phenomenal so thank you so much to Dickie for taking part and joining us this week on the podcast and thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you do have any questions or want to get in touch, then drop us an email, crewthepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at crewthepod, where you can get all the information and all of our previews. Thank you again to Dickie, and thank you guys for listening. And I'll be back with another episode next week. See you all later.